I invite you now to open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1 for the reading of God's holy, inerrant word, verses 26 through 38. And let us ask the Lord whose spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Scripture now to breathe upon us afresh so that we might have ears open to hear His Word, hearts open to receive His Word, and souls ready to rejoice in His Word. Let us pray. Father of the eternal Word, who gave the Word to become flesh for us, we pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us so that we might hear what you say, and receive it in faith, rejoicing in the great salvation revealed in Jesus Christ. To the glory of your name, amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, this is the word of God, it is written. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood. To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We say it, I believe, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And we sing it. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child. We say it and we sing it because 
the virgin birth of Jesus is an essential doctrine of the true Christian faith. But the virgin birth is more, much, much more than a doctrine. The holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus was a wonderful work of God in history for the salvation of sinners. Now, again today, we have three points. In fact, again today, we have three R's. Number one, the reality of the virgin birth of Jesus. Number two, the reason for the virgin birth. And number three, the right response to the virgin birth. Number one, the reality of the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, first of all, let's define our terms The virgin birth refers to the fact that Jesus' mother, Mary, conceived him, carried him, and gave birth to him as a virgin, a woman who had never engaged in sexual intercourse. The reality of the virgin birth began to come under skeptical criticism more than 200 years ago, and that skeptical criticism continues today. The skeptical critics consider the virgin birth of Jesus to be a figment of the pre-scientific worldview of the first century, or merely uh, religious mythology or metaphor. Now, with regard to the pre-scientific worldview of the first century, well, guess what? First century Jews understood very well the basics of the biology of human procreation, and that's all part of the account right here in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Matthew tells us that when Mary's legally engaged husband, Joseph, before they came together, learned that she was pregnant, he resolved to end that legal betrothal quietly so as not to put Mary to public shame. Joseph naturally assumed, logically deduced, that Mary had been unfaithful during this time of their legal betrothal prior to the consummation of their marriage. Mary herself understood the biology when the angel Gabriel announced that she would conceive and bear a son. Her first response was, how will this be since I am a virgin? So Matthew and Luke readily acknowledge the facts of life. And all of their readers in the first century would have understood the point. So these biblical accounts of the virgin birth cannot, cannot be attributed to some so-called pre-scientific worldview of the first century, as though people in the, then didn't understand the basics of human biology. <clears throat> now, the second skeptical criticism is that stories of virgin births occur in pagan mythology, including Roman mythology. And so the skeptics say that Christians simply copied the pagans and said that Jesus was born of a virgin to proclaim that he was a savior king. It was a kind of, they say, a kind of uh, propaganda to promote 
Jesus and faith in him. But the fact of the matter is that the poetic mythology of ancient Rome and the mythology of other ancient cultures is obviously exactly that mythology, fantastical mythology. You know it when you read it. You would know it if you read it. But there's nothing poetical or mythological or fantastical about these accounts in Matthew and Luke. They read as straightforward prose narrative history. Even the appearance of the angel Gabriel is rather understated. I mean, without, without phantasism, without mythological sensationalism. C.S. Lewis, the renowned professor of classical literature at the universities of Cambridge and Oxford, put it this way. I have been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this. That is, like the accounts in Matthew and Luke. But you see, underneath these two denials of the reality of the virgin birth, which, by the way, the denial infected modern liberal mainline Protestantism in the 20th century. But underneath, you say, there's this basic assumption. It's a presupposition. And it goes like this. The virgin birth never could have literally happened because things like that don't happen because they can't happen. In other words, it's impossible because it's impossible. <laughs> exactly. Voila. Exactly. That's exactly what Mary meant when she said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Yes, a virgin birth would be impossible without, within the natural order of things. But the infinite and eternal God, the uncreated creator who created all things visible and invisible by the power of his word is outside, over, and above the natural order of things. He is not limited to, he is not restricted by, he is not bound by the natural order of things. And so the angel Gabriel actually answered the modern skeptic's objections when he said to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. So, you see, skepticism about the reality of the virgin birth of Jesus is ultimately rooted in skepticism about the reality of the God revealed in the Bible. I mean, after all, what's so difficult? What's so embarrassing about believing that the infinite, eternal, almighty creator could generate a human life in the womb of a woman without the help of a man. And therefore, Christians 
throughout history have been bold to affirm, I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. A real reality. Point number two, the reason for the virgin birth of Jesus. Why was it necessary? Okay, first of all, we're gonna get rid of the wrong answer, okay? We're gonna get rid of the wrong answer, and, and the wrong, and, and it's this. The virgin birth was not necessary in order to avoid sex. That's not what this is about. God created human sexuality. God blessed the union of male and female in the covenant of marriage for the procreation of the human race. That is part of God's very good creation. And so this has nothing to do with any kind of uh, embarrassment or timidity or whatever, shame having to do with sex. Doesn't have anything to do with that. All right, so we'll move on. <clears throat> you might think that the virgin birth of Jesus, because it was uh, miraculous, points to or highlights his divine nature. And, and it does, of course, but even more so, even more to the point, the virgin birth of Jesus emphasizes or points to, it points us to Jesus' real humanity. It points us to his real humanity. The eternal Son of God became incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was born of woman. He had, he had a real biological mother. And through her, he had and still has and will forever have a real and true human nature. which he received or took upon himself from his real mother. And his real and true human nature is his connecting point, his identity point with you and me.
Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, so that the eternal Son of God, the eternal Word of the Father, the Word who was with the Father in the beginning, the Word who was God in the beginning, could take upon Himself a real and true human nature, share our true humanity, and be born into this world as a real and true man to live for us as one of us, to die for us as one of us in our stead, and to rise for us as one of us, so that we, in union with Him through faith in Him, listen, so that we, in union with Him through faith in Him, might become like Him in His resurrected, glorified humanity. You may want to put on your oxygen mask at this point. The eternal Word became flesh. He was made like us so that we might be made like Him. Him in His resurrected, glorified humanity. If you are in union with Jesus Christ, that is your eternal destiny. The letter to the Hebrews says that the Son of God came to us as man so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. He became man so that He could die. The passage goes on to say that since we share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In other words, the eternal Son of God became man in order to die as a man so that through His death as a man, His divine power would destroy the devil and set us free from the fear of death. Have you been set free from the fear of death? Because a man has conquered death by the power of his own divine nature? The same passage from Hebrews goes on to say that He, the Son of God, had to be made like us in every respect with a true human nature so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, atonement for the sins of the people. He had to become like us in order to do what He did for us, that is to die for our sins in our place. And and because He became one of us and lived a human life on this earth, Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, this is beautiful. This This is beautiful. Jesus, because He was born of woman and lived a human life on earth, can and does sympathize with us. 
In a great line from one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons, he says that Christ has not forgotten what it is like to suffer. Do you think that life on earth is difficult? Jesus, the Son of God, born of woman, knows all about that and far more than we do. He is not an aloof, unfeeling, impersonal deity. The Son of God became man so that he might live a real human life in this fallen world and face every trial and temptation we face yet without sin. And because he was without sin, he was able as the perfect Lamb of God to make propitiation for our sins. And all of this, all that was necessary for our salvation could be accomplished only by one who was both God and man united in one person. And this came about through the holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus. And so Galatians 4.4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of woman. That is in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 9.6. You know it. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is the mystery of the incarnation, the enfleshment of the eternal Son of God. The Word became flesh. God became man without ceasing to be God. Jesus, born of woman, is our Emmanuel, God with us. Now Mary, you may be wondering, yes, Mary, like us, was a descendant of Adam. Yes, Mary had a sinful nature. But remember, the the essence of human nature, human nature as it was originally created in the beginning, was not corrupted by sin. You have to remember that. When God created Adam and Eve, they did not have a sinful nature. They were not corrupted. And therefore, true humanity in its original essence as created by God did not have a sinful nature. True human nature doesn't have a a sinful nature. Not the true, capital T, true human nature as created by God doesn't have a sinful nature. And so by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit, the, the divine nature of the second person of the Trinity was united with the essence of Mary's true human nature without its sinful corruption. God, by His infinite wisdom and almighty power, was able, if you will, if we can say it this way, was able to distinguish and to separate the essence of Mary's true human nature from her fallen corruption. And so by His infinite wisdom and almighty power, God united His divine nature with true human nature without sin. And thus was conceived and born Jesus, the second Adam, the new Adam, 
The man without sin. The man with a divine nature. And so in his great work of salvation, God became truly man. That as a man, he might bear the curse and die a real human death for us as our representative head. But, but his humanity, which underwent real human death, was united with a divine nature which conquered that death and swallowed it up. And out of which it brought forth from that death a resurrected life never to die again. If you are in union with Jesus Christ, the divine man, through faith in Him, with a bond of love, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, then you have the blessed assurance of these two things. The penalty of your sins has been paid in full. And Jesus' victory over death is freely given and guaranteed to you. And this could take place only because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. So now number three, the right response to the virgin birth. The first response ought to be a bowing down before the Holy One in humility. A bowing down before the reality of the holy mystery. You know, the, the real question about the holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus is not how could it happen, <laughs> but rather why? Why would God do this? Why would the infinite and eternal, all-glorious Son of God empty Himself and be born in the likeness of men to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? <laughs> Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. The holy mystery of the incarnation ought to cause us to fall on our faces in humility and amazement. And secondly, our response ought to be one of praise and wonder. Think of what God in Christ has done for you. This is no little thing. We ought not to neglect so great a salvation that the glorious Son of God would become like you in your earthly mortality so that you might become like Him in His glorious immortality. This is our story. This is the defining narrative of the Christian's life. You know how we say, everybody's got a story. What's your story? What's your story? Well, every Christian can say this. My story is that I was dead and hopeless and helpless. But I've been rescued and redeemed and given a new life by God who became a man and who lived for me 
and who died for me and rose for me as my brother of human flesh and blood so that through him I might become a child of God and live forever. Is that your story? Have you embraced this great Savior with faith and love? Is the story of the gospel the story of your life? Do you respond with praise and wonder every day? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And thirdly, our response ought to be one of joyful, faithful, cheerful obedience. Mary responded by saying to the angel Gabriel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary submitted herself to the Lord and presented herself to the Lord in his service. Mary is a good example of what our response should be to the mystery of the incarnation for our salvation. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. By your grace, in response to your mercy, ready and willing to do your will in accordance with your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Brothers and sisters, the right response? In humility, bow before the mystery. Receive Jesus Christ. Rejoice in wonder and praise at the miracle of your salvation. This is what it took to save you from your sins and offer your life in willing service to Him who for your sake and your salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in the great salvation which you have revealed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We worship you and we adore you in your majesty and in your mercy, in your glory and in your goodness, in your holiness and in your everlasting love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world.
as we say together the Nicene Creed, which is sometimes called the Christmas Creed, because of its extended section on the incarnation and the divine nature of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, united with true human nature. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten of not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all Oh, my God.